The, uh, the title of today's sermon is Samson the Trainwreck Used by God. Why am I talking about Samson? It all started with a school assignment. A few months ago, I had an assignment where I needed to study the book of Judges, looking for themes, patterns, observations, etc. One of the themes I discovered fit especially well with the life and character of Samson. There's a lesson we can learn from Samson, and that lesson has continued to stick with me to the point where I felt I should share it today. What is that lesson? We'll get to that. I'm going to start things off by going out on a bit of a limb. I'm going to talk about reality TV. I don't know how many of you watch reality TV. Maybe it's not your thing, or maybe it's very much your thing. Uh, in any case, reality TV has secured a place in our culture. For example, there's this show, Love is Blind. Um, yeah, and if you haven't seen it, that's perfectly fine. If you haven't even heard of it, that's perfectly fine. I'll explain the premise, which should tell you everything you need to know. Don't worry, this will tie in with our biblical message. <laughs> anyway, the premise of this show, Love is Blind, is that contestants meet each other, date each other, and potentially get engaged to each other all before they've ever seen each other face-to-face. -face. The show starts out by having contestants talk to each other, get to know each other, all without ever seeing each other. If two of them like each other enough, a proposal happens. This proposal happens within days, before they've ever seen each other. The, the couples that successfully get engaged are then permitted to see each other. And then this is where it gets even crazier. They have 28 days until the wedding. That's right, 28 days for beating each other until the wedding. That's, that's really short. Not exactly the, a solid foundation for a long-lasting marriage. Now, think about the type of people that go on a show like that. These are people who willingly enter this emotional roller coaster, agree to have their experience shown on Netflix, and who the producers think will provide entertainment value for the viewers. In the Bible, we have this guy, Samson. I think if Samson were around in today's day and age, he might end up on a show like Love is Blind. There's also this woman, Delilah, who has a fateful relationship with Samson. If the two of them were on Love is Blind, I think it would make for, I don't know if I should say good television, but it would be compelling television <laughs> for viewers to watch. In fact, I think Samson and Delilah would go on that show and they get their own spin-off show. <laughs> the Bible is filled with flawed people. Samson is just one of several flawed characters. Yet he really holds his own in terms of making consistently bad decisions in life. The guy is a trade wreck. Here's the plan for today. We'll spend some time walking through the story of Samson. This story covers four chapters of the book of Judges, so we're not going to cover it all today. What we'll do is touch on a selection of moments from Samson's life, covering each section briefly. The aim here is to show what kind of man Samson was and how he was used by God. 
Once we finish the story, I'll share the big lesson we can learn from Samson, and then we'll spend the rest of our time looking at how that lesson applies to each of us. Now, before we begin our story, let's set the scene a little bit. The Israelites have entered the land of Canaan and defeated the enemy nations. Except they didn't fully defeat the enemy nations. There were still some nations, such as the Philistines, who stuck around and made things hard for the Israelites. The map on the screen shows a section of the land Israel occupied during that time. On the left, you'll see Philistia. That's where the Philistines lived. You'll see it's a little too close, to com- little too close for comfort between the Philistines and the Israelites. In the middle of the map, you'll see Zorah, Timnah, Lehi, and the Valley of Sorek. That's where the bulk of our story with Samson takes place. And then on the lower left side, deep in Philistine territory, you'll see Gaza. Samson also spent some time there. I'll indicate where Samson is at different points in the story to help you follow along. To start with, Samson's parents lived in Zora, indicated by the black box. It's located in the tribe of Dan, and it's close to the Philistine border. All right, let's begin the story. Several times throughout the book of Judges, there's an introductory statement along the lines of, Israel wasn't following God, so God let an enemy oppress them. The beginning of Samson's story contains one of these statements. Verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 years, that's a long time. Things are looking bad here for Israel. How will they get out of this situation? Who will save them? This leads to an origin story for Samson via his parents. Verse 2, certain men of Zorah named Manoah from the class clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. For those of you familiar with the Old Testament, this situation might sound familiar. The woman was childless, unable to give birth. We see a similar setup for Sarah, wife of Abraham, Becca, wife of Isaac, Rachel, wife of Jacob, and Hannah, mother of Samuel. In each of their cases, God miraculously allowed them to have a child. Let's see what happens here. Verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Hey, there we go. In the same way God allowed Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah to become pregnant, God will allow Manoah's wife to become pregnant. It seems this child will be special. Verse 4, now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. Interesting. This is similar to something we see in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, which lists the requirements for those wishing to undertake a Nazarite vow. The purpose of that Nazarite vow being to be set apart for service to God. It seems Samson will be set apart for service to God. Verse 5, you will become pregnant, have a son, 
whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So we have a promising start here. The chapter goes on to say Manoah and his wife spoke to the angel of the Lord again, making sure they were clear on what God required of them and setting apart their son in service for God. Samson has a lot going for him here. God has set him apart for a special purpose in delivering Israel from the Philistines. And we see evidence of Samson's parents, especially his mother, being faithful to God. What could go wrong? In a moment, we'll see Samson head to Timnah, indicated by the black box. It's close to Zora and it's just on the other side of the Philistine border. Next time we see Samson, he's all grown up. Verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Hmm, a bit of an odd start for a man set apart by God to deliver Israel from the Philistines. His parents express concern. Verse 3, his mother and father, his father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? What's the big deal here? Why do Samson's parents care if he marries a Philistine? The deal here is that Israel as a nation was called to follow and depend on the one true God. The enemy nations around them would have followed many gods. But God demanded exclusive loyalty from the Israelites. To the extent they follow God, things tended to go well for them. To the extent they got distracted by other gods, that's when the troubles tended to start. One of the ways the Israelites started turning away from God was by marrying people from nations outside Israel. If an Israelite marries a Philistine, it becomes less likely that Israelite stays faithful to God. That's what's at stake here when Samson's parents express concern over his marrying a Philistine woman. How does Samson respond to his parents trying to look out for him? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Okay, so this is our first major clue about the kind of man Samson has become. He receives constructive criticism, blows right past it, and does his own thing. In other parts of the Bible, such as Proverbs, there is a name for people who do this sort of thing. They're called fools. And we don't know what happened to Samson as a kid, but he has grown up into a straight fool. However, immediately after these verses, we see some indications that God is at work here. Verse 4, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. God is planning something here. He wants to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines, and he wants to use Samson to do that. That doesn't mean God wants Samson marrying a Philistine woman, but it does mean he can use that circumstance to accomplish his purposes. Let's see what Samson gets up to next. Verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah, together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward them. Oh no! 
Verse 6, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. From what I've heard, lions are about seven times stronger than humans. For Samson to be able to rip this lion apart requires more than him just hitting the gym every day. God is literally Samson's source of strength. You'd think he'd be praising God after a feat of strength like this. Instead, he keeps a secret. We'll fast forward through a bit of the story and resume play when Samson and the Philistines land near Lehi, east of Zorah, in the region of Judah. For our Judges 14 and 15, we see a vicious cycle of revenge happening between Samson and the Philistines. Philistines do something to provoke Samson, Samson gets revenge, and then the Philistines get revenge for that revenge, and on and on it goes. Pick it up in verse 9. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. So now we're in Judah, and the people of Judah have to get involved. Verse 10, the people of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. People of Judah would be worried at this point. They don't want to pick a fight with the Philistines. That would just make their situation worse than it already is. Verse 11. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? People of Judah are worried, and so they get mad at Samson. And then this is Samson's actual reaction. He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. When I read that, I was like, what are you, 10 years old, Samson? (laughs) I was amazed by the immaturity on display. People are mad at him, and he does the equivalent of shrugging his shoulders and saying, well, they started it. (laughs) Any any parents in the room might recognize this behavior as something you might see from your child. That was my knee-jerk reaction. However, then my empathetic side started kicking in, and I realized something. Don't we all have that type of reaction at times? When the going gets tough, our ability to respond in a mature manner can really plummet. <clears throat> it's a relatable moment, him saying, I merely did to them what they did to me. We'll head next to the Valley of Sorek, which is close to everything else we've covered so far. Let's now introduce the infamous woman known as Delilah. Verse 4, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Maybe Samson has learned from his previous mistakes with women, and Delilah won't be so bad. Verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1100 shekels of silver. Are any of you thinking about dating? This is a major red flag. <laughs> if, your, if your girlfriend is literally trying to get you killed, that the reasonable thing to do is break up with her, block her number, and make sure she can't find you. Maybe call the police too. 
Does Samson do this? No. Instead, what happens over the next several verses is he tricks her, gets away from the Philistines, she gets mad at him for tricking her, tries to get him killed again, he tricks her again. Honesty and mutual trust are very clearly not prioritized in this relationship. This is, in fact, Toxic Relationships 101. After three blatant attempts to get Samson killed, Delilah decides it's time to talk to Samson about their relationship. Verse 15, then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. (sighs) I'm sure Samson had his reasons for sticking around with Delilah. Maybe he didn't know what healthier relationships could look like. Maybe she helped him feel less lonely. Or maybe she was just very, very attractive. We don't get an in-depth psychological profile on Samson. What we do see in the biblical narrative, though, is he suffered from arrogance and he had weakness for women. In the face of very clearly foreseeable danger, he does not make the wise move of fleeing the scene. Instead, he caves in. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God for my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Why would he tell her the secret to his strength? Was he oblivious to the fact that Delilah will immediately feed this information to the Philistines? More likely, it seems his arrogance has grown to the point where at least a part of him thinks he could still get away if his hair is shaved. He seems to have forgotten that God is the source of his strength. He's lost sight of the fact that he was set apart by God to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Or maybe he just doesn't care about any of that anymore. For whatever reason, he chooses his relationship with Delilah over his relationship with God. Once the Philistines capture Samson, they take him all the way down to Gaza, which you'll see in the lower left corner. In the verses that follow, Samson gets captured by the Philistines, has his eyes gouged out, loses his strength, and gets imprisoned in Gaza. Things have really gone downhill for him. Verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. This is one of the only times we see Samson praying. And what does he pray for? Revenge. You guessed it. Not exactly an A-plus prayer. Let's see how God responds to this prayer. Verse 29. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more while he died than while he lived. Samson was a train wreck. He made bad decisions, acted like a fool, and suffered as a result of his own fault. Yet God still used him. 
God set apart Samson and used him to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Samson did not earn this distinction. God just made it happen. I'm about to arrive at my main point today. Before I do, I want to take a moment to see how this this story connects with the gospel. There are several New Testament passages I could use to make this connection, but let's just look at this Ephesians passage. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Samson had no reason to boast. It was God's work in his life that gave him the strength he had. This brings me to my main point today. If God can use Samson, then God can use anyone, including you. I'll, I'll repeat that. If God can use Samson, then God can use anyone, including you. We saw how deeply flawed Samson was. God still used him. God can still use you. I find this message has encouraged me to see that God is working to accomplish his purposes in my life and is working to accomplish his purposes in the lives of those around me. My hope is you will be encouraged by this message as well. Now, we don't all share Samson's temperament. However, this lesson from Samson does apply to all of us. To help show that, I'll describe a few categories of people and how this lesson applies to each of us. First, I'll address people who regularly condemn themselves and view themselves as deeply flawed and condemn themselves because of that. Then we'll turn our attention to people who do indeed act like like Samson. And then finally, in case neither of those categories apply to you, I'll speak to people who very much don't view themselves as Samson, but watch people who are like Samson. I had a friend who loved going to church and loved being around Christians. However, when I asked about her own faith, she told me she wasn't good enough to be a Christian. Maybe you also know someone who doesn't feel they're good enough to be a Christian. I tried to tell her, being a Christian is not about being good enough. It's about Christ saving us and us accepting that salvation. But that message of grace is very counterintuitive. People can see their own faults and can get overwhelmed by them. And when we get overwhelmed, we, we feel unable to change our situation. My message to these people is God can change your situation. Right? If God can use Samson, then God can use anyone including you. Maybe you're telling yourself, oh, I'm just like Samson. I make all these mistakes. That's not what God wants you to focus on. If you are someone that experiences guilt and shame from self-condemnation, know that God sees you and sees past the faults that you see. God doesn't want you living in self-condemnation. He wants you to see the immense love he has for you. He wants you to accept his love, accept his forgiveness, and experience freedom. If God can use Samson, then God can use anyone, including you. Experience the freedom to follow God's lead. Turn away from things that keep you from God, and turn toward what God has 
in store for you. I had another friend who was very angry at everyone and everything. He had reasons for being angry. His life had been hard and continued to be hard, but it did make it challenging to interact with him. Right? Trying to talk to him often resulted in me struggling to get a word in while he ranted about whatever he was angry about at that time. He would make rash decisions, sometimes harmful ones, and it would be tough to stop him. I, I cared about him, but I quickly had to learn about the need to say no to him and to sometimes allow him to experience the consequences of his choices. He ended up having a radical encounter with Christ, giving his life to Jesus. The decision to follow Jesus had an immediate and intense impact on his life. A lot of the anger he had melted away. He gave up things from his old life. The transformational power of Jesus was real and tangible. Now, he still had his challenges. The story is not as neat and tidy as I'm describing here. But here's what I want to get at. People like Samson can do a lot of damage to themselves and to the people around them. For any Samsons in the room, know that God loves you immensely and his love can change the situation and he invites you to accept that love. However, it may also be the case that God, in his love for you, may allow you to experience some consequences for the choices that you make. Samson ended up living a chaotic life, having his eyes gouged out, and dying under a heap of rubble. I don't want that happening to you. The better path is to follow God. If God can use Samson, then God can use anyone, including you. The application of this message for Samson's in the audience is to follow God rather than resist him. And then finally, we have people who think they're doing pretty well. They don't act like Samson, but they see people like Samson all around them. They watch shows like Love is Blind, laughing at the bad decisions they make on that show. I know, I'm in that category. That show, Love is Blind, I watched it. I watched two seasons of it. And I had, I had mixed feelings watching that show. On the one hand, it was entertaining seeing the bad decisions happen on screen. I would yell at the screen saying things like, why would you do that? What were you thinking? Come on. But the thing is, these are real people having their experience shown to us for our entertainment. Right? I find myself putting distance between them and me. God doesn't do that. Rather than putting distance between us and him, Christ closed that gap because of his immense love for us. I'm called to be like Christ. Shouldn't I have a more compassionate attitude toward those people? If God can use Samson, God can use anyone. God can still use people like Samson today. The people that we laugh at, the people that we cringe at, these are still people that God loves and that God can use. There may be consequences for the choices these people make. Our role, though, is to see these people the way God sees them. 
God's immense love extends to these people too. So, yeah, our, yeah, so we need to see these people the way God sees them. In summary, what can we learn from Samson? Big lesson Samson teaches us is if God can use Samson, then God can use anyone, including you. For people who condemn themselves, accept God's love and follow his lead. For people who are like Samson, follow God rather than resist him. And for people who watch people like Samson, see these people the way God sees them. That's my message for today. Lord God, thank you that we don't need to be perfect for you. Thank you that even though we make all these mistakes in life and yeah, even though we have all these flaws, you close that gap between us and you. You you see us and you love us and you use us and that's incredible. And so I pray you'd help us to share that perspective, to see the incredible role you have in our lives, and I pray that would allow us to be used by you in a way that follows you rather than tries to resist you. Amen.